Hey booze, welcome to Crime and Spirits, your one-stop shop for handcrafted cocktails, spooky stories, and all things true crime. I am your resident bartender, Suze, and I'll be teaching you all a new drink recipe at the beginning of each of our episodes. And I'm Bree, drinker of the drinks, and I write the stories we tell. So, what should you expect while listening to us? Well, good question. There's going to be some swearing. Oh, a lot of swearing. Probably some rambling. Definitely rambling. And most likely a lot of off-topic pop culture references. We specialize in Bob's Burgers and maybe Always Sunny. Definitely. But what do you want from us? We're going to be drinking. And hopefully you will be too. So come hang out with us each week. And if you want to spend more time with us, check out the description for the link to all of our socials. Let's buckle up buttercups and sip tight. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Crime and Spirits. Hi guys. I'm Bree. And I'm Suze. We are going to be doing part two of our Jody area story today. Oh Jody, Jody, Yay! Jody. It's been a wild ride so far. So in case you guys missed last week and you don't feel like listening, you should, but just saying. <laughs> uh, in case you don't want to, the recap is basically Jody and Travis meet one faithful night at a conference in Las Vegas. And they begin a twisted and tumultuous relationship that is heavy on the sex. Mm -hmm. And it just spirals out of control. Jodi shows obsessive behavior. She crosses major boundary lines. Travis may or may not have done the same thing. We're not really sure. Either way, Travis ends up dead. Mm -hmm. Brutally murdered. It's really, really fucking sad. And uh, Jodi gets arrested. Like, point blank period. There was no real question, no him. There were no other suspects. Nobody was even, I don't think, looked into really or questioned. Zero time getting this chick. This was their girl. So, where we left off is the trial is about to begin. Yeah. Opening arguments are going to be read. So, for once, (laughs) Susan and I decided to give you a little twist on our beverage this time around we're doing two drinks so if you didn't listen last week tisk tisk but um what we're doing is we're calling them filthy sodas because they are a twist on uh mormon popular drink that's called a dirty soda uh it's all the fad mormons can't have caffeine or alcohol (laughs) or yeah tobacco or premarital sex or all the things but um They basically are taking fountain sodas, adding cream or syrups to them. We are just going to make it super filthy and put booze in them. So our booze last week was the whipped vodka from Pinnacle. We're going to stick with it because it's really freaking good. Um, This week we did orange soda. It's from our our grocery stores here, Giant Eagles. Mm -hmm. They have a brand called Market District. We got their orange soda. So we're doing three ounces of orange soda, two ounces of whipped vodka over ice in a glass, and the twist, I guess what makes it filthy, what makes it dirty (laughs) for Mormons is cream. We're using coffee creamer. I got French vanilla flavor. Mm -hmm. And you just sort of float that over the top. It turns it this really pretty, like, 
whitish orangish color it literally looks like a cream skull if you're a local you are familiar with sarah's Sarah orange vanilla twist cones it literally looked exactly like that when she made the drink yep. i'm and not even exactly we will be posting reels and videos of the drink mm -hmm. so you'll be able to see it in its full effect but if you want to give it a try i'm excited i think it's delicious Mm. Oh, that tastes... It, you can't even tell you booze in this <laughs> I one. I know, which is why it's dangerous. Because mm -hmm. last week we used root beer, so it was basically a boozy root beer float. Yeah. Um, this week it's basically a boozy orange creamsicle. That tastes really good. Hell yeah. Who would have thought I know, right? coffee creamer, soda, and booze would make such interesting combinations? Definitely not me. Really, not me at all. I mean, honestly. <laughs> so... Are we ready? Oh, drinks in hand, I guess. We'll Sip ready tight. as we can be. Buckle up. Opening arguments finally begin on January 2nd, 2013. Five years, almost. Like four and a half at this point after Kravis's death. Juan Martinez. This, I don't, this fucking guy. I don't care for him. It will become very obvious throughout this next episode. He is the prosecutor for the case. His whole plan is to paint Jody as a lover scorned and that Travis was dead because she was dangerously jealous. For the record, I don't hate him for the his argument. I don't like him as a human. It's true. The, ar <laughs> the arguments are valid. It is. This guy is an asshat. Correct. Um, he says that Travis was, quote, an individual that was one of the greatest blessings of her life. Well, she knocked the blessings out of him by putting a bullet in his head. Mm -hmm. End quote. I don't particularly care for... I mean, I know that you have to make, like... You have to make an impression. Absolutely. That's what opening statements are for. Yeah. But, like, I don't care for, like, the moment this trial opens. It's, like, a fucking, like, theater production. Right. Pretty much. A dramatic know. one at that. It, it really just... I feel like it just sets a really bad tone for how everything goes. Anyways, he goes on to say, quote, this is not a case of who done it. I agree with him on this point. Mm -hmm. The person who committed this killing sits in the court today, Jody and Arias, end quote. He goes on to talk about who Travis was as a person, hitting hard on the fact that he was just so devout in his faith. Oh, oh Which, if no. you guys don't remember, he is a Mormon. And as Sue's mentioned with the drink, they don't get to do anything fun. Literally. And that includes having a lot of sex, which Travis and Jody did. Yes. Often. Mm-hmm. All the time. And documented. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He says that Travis was so devout in his faith and that Arius, quote, stuck a knife in his chest. She slit his throat as a reward for being a good man. Mm. That makes me want to throw up. Yeah. Because while... I will say it. I've said it before. I will say it again. Travis didn't deserve to die. Never. No. But, like, can't we tell, like, a realistic version of the story at right. the very least? Like, right. We're going to start things off with being, like, she's a whore who, like, ruined him. Right. I mean, I guess technically she did. And horribly so. But still. I know. I well, don't like it. <laughs> we don't have to agree with it, I guess. Exactly. <clears throat> So on the flip side of this argument, one of Jody's attorneys, Jennifer Wilmot, begins laying out her defense. She says that Travis, quote, lunged at Jody in anger. Jody's life was in danger. He knocked her to the ground in the bathroom where there was a struggle. If she did not have to defend herself, she would not be here, end quote. Have you watched any of the documentaries with Jennifer Wilmot in it? 
I feel like I have seen her, but I'm not 100% sure. I watched a lot of documentaries. The one that came out a few years ago, I want to say on, like, Discovery Plus, she was very involved in that one. And she is, to at least that point, very adamant Mm -hmm. in in Jodi's defense. And, I mean, cool. She did it, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, so what were they hoping for? Probably a lighter sentence versus the death penalty, which was on the table here. Self-defense carries a much lighter sentence. You don't generally get, like, completely off because you still committed an act, especially one of this nature. Like, there's no way they were going to, even if they bought Jody's story, there was no way she was walking out of that courtroom. Oh, not at all. Because, uh, as we mentioned in part one, Travis was horrifically murdered. Mm -hmm. Basically butchered. Horrendously shot. in the head and then left for For days days on end. It's it's No one should die that way. No, not at all. If this is really self-defense, I would eat my shoe, I think. The thing that (laughs) does it for me is that, like, I could have believed self-defense to a certain point. The anger that's obviously present in this murder is what really seals the deal it's for true. it not going that direction. Because you can tell there's there's rage. There's rage. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so much rage. So over the course of the trial, we get the testimony of quite a few people. And this starts with Ryan Burns. Ooh, Ryan. You may remember him from last week. This was the friend that Jody met up with when she was in Utah. He goes on to tell the court that she was very affectionate with him during this conference, that they would spend several hours, quote, hugging and kissing on a large beanbag chair. Is that all? He recounts asking her about her hands, and she told him that she cut her hands on a broken glass while working a shift at a restaurant called Margaritaville. Okay, so those restaurants do exist. Just not in Eureka, California. Um, and I've broken glassware at work, but rule number one is don't pick it up with your hands. That's what brooms mm-hmm. and dustpans and towels are for, not your fucking hands. I have to say, though, I'm the worst with that. Like, I'm not defending I've her done by it any before, means. for sure. Because, like, my, I'm a dumbass in those moments. My instinct is to immediately, like, my cats, one of my cats broke my one of my wine fest glasses. Rude. Onyx was hiding where I was having them hide, and he broke one. And I was literally, it was 8 in the morning the other night on my morning off, and I'm just, like, laying in bed, and all of a sudden you hear crash, and, like, this glass broke. It was terrible. Glass everywhere. All five cats immediately tried to be in the glass. That sounds right. So, it was terrible. Not really related. I don't, my (laughs) first reaction is to be like, oh, no, get away. No more cuts to my hands. But apparently she just dove right in on the margarita glass. She was like, I'm just gonna. At Margaritaville. At first, I didn't think that was a real restaurant. I thought it was just, like, a margarita maker. Isn't that, like, a thing? Jimmy motherfucking Buffett. (laughs) Cheeseburger in paradise. I want to hulk through a wall when I hear those songs. (laughs) It's him. It's him. He owns an island in Key West. That's oh. how much money he's made off of Margaritaville. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> it's literally crappy food with margaritas. Mm. Margaritas are good. I'm yes. not knocking margaritas. And if you like Jimmy Buffett, I apologize in advance. But Suze makes good margaritas. I literally want to punch through a wall when I hear one of his songs. <laughs> she really does. You guys, she's getting, like, there was, physically worked up. So this, it. again, has nothing to do with our story. <laughs> I went to Bonnaroo one year. I was supposed to be seeing the Allman Brothers, you know, before Greg Allman died. Mm-hmm. They had to cancel because he got sick. He had hepatitis, so he was Mm. sick off and on, and he never took care of himself, so there's also that. 
Um, they replaced the Allman Brothers with fucking Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> so out come all these motherfuckers in their big ass RVs with parrot flags and Hawaiian shirts and flip flops and cheeseburgers, and I just wanted to break things. All right, broken glass. I'm bringing it back to the broken glass. Filled with rage. Long story short, I never got to see the Allman Brothers, but I did see Jimmy Buffett. And she was apparently Unfortunately. not around. Well, I heard him from afar, and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> She looks so mad, you guys. I really don't. I don't understand why I don't like Jimmy Buffett. I just really don't. That's I don't fair. get it. That's I think because I'm jealous, maybe? I don't know. Susan's hot take on Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> get your parrot asses out of here. They call, they call themselves parrot heads. Okay. Get a life. I have question i don't even understand it it's not like he wears a parrot like a pirate or anything he plays the guitar and he plays music for people who like to smoke weed drink margaritas and apparently be on the beach i mean i like all those things i just don't what have you never heard of jimmy buffett i have but i've oh never God. had this conversation with you before you've never had this level of rage come out about jimmy buffett yeah girl yeah, Mar- I th- I'm pretty. I'm 98 sure that Margaritaville is his concept. I feel like you're correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and according to a detective, gotta get back on track. <laughs> a detective that later testifies in this trial, this restaurant did not exist in Eureka, hmm. as Suze mentioned, and that Jody was actually working at a place called Casa Ramo- Ra- Ramos. I would say Ramos. Yeah. Ramos. Anyway, she lied. Is yes. the moral of the story. And the prosecution will also call several of Travis's other girlfriends to the stand throughout the trial. All of them state that he never exhibited any problems with anger or violence. So, yeah, I'm just curious if she brought that out in him, maybe. Like uh, like we mentioned last week, their relationship was just very toxic. Mm-hmm. They were toxic to one another, but they yeah. could not seem to quit one another for yeah. whatever reason. And I really, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it in, like, friends of, in my own personal relationship and, and friends of mine who have, like, these kinds of relationships. Sometimes two people, no matter how much you care about one another, just don't, you bring out bad qualities right. in each other. And it's unfortunate, but sometimes it happens. Right. And I think that's what, I think that's a, was like a turning point with this while Jody was also crazy. Mm-hmm. Like her yeah. craziness. Like, Add that caveat like, into that. Yeah, like magnified their toxicity, right. if you will. I could see that being a thing. Um, so before Jody herself takes the stand, the prosecution alleges that Jody had stalked Travis previously and had slashed his tires on two separate occasions. Because of these events, Travis had called Jody a sociopath and, quote, the worst thing that ever happened to me, end quote. That seems fair. I would have to agree in this instance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, according to Prosecutor Martinez, Travis had stated to friends that he was fearful of Jody. One line of logic the prosecution follows is one regarding the gun. Martinez goes on to argue that uh, the alleged theft of the 25 caliber weapon coupled with the fact that a similar shell was found near Travis's dead body, proves that Jody was somehow involved. Um, he says that her and or her accomplices had staged the burglary and then committed the murder. On the off chance you guys don't know what she's talking about, previous episode we spoke about a burglary being reported from Jody's grandmother's 
uh, grandparents' home, and one of the items missing was a 25 caliber handgun that was never recovered. Which Aunt Jody was living with her grandparents at the time. So it's like there's a whole lot of things that make you go, hmm, here. You yeah. know what I mean? 100%. 100%. So on February 4th, 2013, Jody Arias finally takes a stand. Her testimony lasts for 18 days. 18, though. And comprises mostly of talks about the sex life that she's shared with Travis, which, in my opinion, is not really necessary. I don't... Unless it's some sort of violent sexual escapade, I don't know how it would be relevant to the case. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, she does address the abuse that she allegedly suffered at the hands of her parents as a child at some point during, like, her first day of testimony. She also speaks to her renting the car in Reading, specifically. Apparently, her brother lived there. It was noted that the car rental company had two options, so she could either go to one north of her residence or south. So... Maybe the thing about her brother was true. I don't know. The second day is when we really get into the sex talk. And mm. uh, she talks about the first time that she was physically with Travis, which happened almost immediately upon meeting each other and included both oral sex and sodomy. Pretty she, sure if you can't have premarital sex, you can't do that but, either. But Suze, according to Travis... <sighs> It didn't really count. Mm-hmm. So Jody claims on the stand that she didn't really enjoy that particular type of intercourse at first, but she went along with it anyways because Travis allegedly believed that it didn't really count and therefore did not go against the strict rules Mormons are supposed to follow regarding vaginal intercourse. It's like that old like Catholic schoolgirl trope, right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's always like, oh, Catholic girls will... They don't want to do it in the front. They want to do it in the back because it doesn't count. I don't know. What? Not make it make sense. I. uh, (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. uh, I just have no words. (laughs) Um, So they did wind up playing a tape for the court of the two having phone sex. Apparently, Jody had recorded this session without Travis's knowledge. Not cool, man. I find that shocking, her bad deviant behavior. (laughs) Um, Jody also alleges at some point that Travis had um, pedophilic desires for children of any gender. She allegedly tried to, quote-unquote, help him with these urges. Um, Later on, at some point in the trial, I believe, forensic experts would go on the record to say that there was literally no evidence to suggest this on Travis's computer, and I believe they went into all of his devices and couldn't find anything. Mm -hmm. So... Bish, what you be talking about? Helping with what? <laughs> that was, like, a really big, I think, in her head, like, bomb she was going to drop. I don't know. It was really weird. Probably, like, oh, well, this this will definitely get me exonerated. Yeah, for real. He was awful. You're welcome, everybody, I guess. <laughs> like, in her head? Maybe. I don't know. And just so you guys know, we tried to find, like, the definitive timeline of, like, who said what, what day. Yeah. But... You know how it can be. Several sources are within a day or two of each other. So I just kind of wrote it as, like, groups of what happened. So in case you were wondering the finer details, it's a little difficult to navigate. So Well, again, keep in mind all of this was occurring in the public sphere day by day, Mm -hmm. hour by hour, minute by minute. So a lot of it is, like, overlapping sources with the same information. Like, it's just a... 
There's it's so here. much to sift through. And it's frustrating, too, because there was some things that happened more recently in years. And so trying to navigate and find, like, news articles from 2013 right. was also proving to be difficult. Like an archaeological dig or something. Honestly. So apologies if you want more details like that. We tried. This is what you get. Well, that's true. <laughs> All the sources are linked if you want to go on and do your own research. I found again. a stupid amount of news articles that I'm going to post for that's you guys. True. So don't you worry. Another little weird um, piece of evidence that was introduced. All of the things are weird pieces of evidence it's for the true. record. Um, there is a t-shirt that is presented to the jury that had the word Travis Alexander's with like the apostrophe S printed on it. Mm. Allegedly, Travis like forced Jody to wear this. The defense was calling it a form of control. Jody goes on to testify that her relationship with Travis at this point was becoming much more physically and emotionally abusive as time went on. That's, mm, somebody gave me a shirt like that, I'd be like, yeah, no thank you. Also, I'd speed away from their house. I used to make See a joke when Drew Brees was still playing for the Saints that yeah. I was going to get Mark a special custom-made jersey that said Brees, but with the apostrophe ES, because I'm a little crazy and yeah, don't touch my man. I don't... That's different, <laughs> But it's funny, though. right? Like, it's his, it was his quarterback, the quarterback for his favorite yeah. football team. I have and the same name as him. It was funny. I don't know if you've met Mark, but he passionately loves the New Orleans Oh, my Saints. God. Like, so. a stupid <laughs> amount. Not that it's so. stupid. It's not We're at not all. not judging. I'm not. We love We it. went to a game last year. I'm fully on the Saints train. It's fine. It was a lot of fun. I see why he loves it. Better than the train we're on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're not even going to go there. No, no. We'll do the whole episode on it yeah. instead. Mm. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> Anyways, back to Jody's trial. Um, so she describes the chain of events that took place that fateful evening. She says that she and Travis were playfully taking pictures of each other and that she, I'm going to assume accidentally, dropped Travis's brand new digital camera onto the floor. Mm. Per Jody, Travis began to scream at her and then slammed her onto the floor at the foot of his bed. Throughout this whole confrontation, he would taunt her by saying things like, don't act like that hurts. Next, he was calling her a bitch and started to kick her in the ribs. She says that she tried to defend herself when he went to kick her, which is when she allegedly hurt her hand, which I don't... What? Yeah. Ooh, okay. The the crooked... Right. The, what was it? Pinky finger? Crooked, I think it was her pinky or her ring finger. Um, she proceeds then to hold up her left hand while on the witness stand to illustrate that her finger was crooked because of those injuries. Um, she said she was forced to fight for her life, which I don't, I was not kicked, but my pinky is also crooked. I also have crooked fingers. It's literally it's just my just DNA. Been like that, yeah. Um, that moment of Jody holding up her hand gave me O.J. Simpson trying on the glove vibes. Like, look, it doesn't fit. Like, let me completely hold out my hand and stretch it out completely before I attempt to put a glove on. Right. That's been frozen and then frozen several right. times. I feel like it was the same thing. Like, she was really, like... Trying to flex like, her fingers. Like, manipulating her fingers. I mean, who knows? It's quite possible that she did hurt herself, but maybe not in this way. Well, that caused it, this injury. Honestly, and Travis could have done those things. We don't actually know. We were not there. Absolutely, right. The only person that was there and is living to tell the tale... Can't really be can't trusted. Can't be trusted, so... So that's where we're at. The prosecution turns around and showcases Jody's unreliability. Keep in mind that this self-defense defense... Was Jody's third account of what happened that night. 
Martinez confronts Jody regarding the interviews that she has given over this time period. He shows the court how both interviews from 48 Hours had conflicting information. Jody admits that she couldn't keep her lies straight. So I have like some dialogue here between Jody and Martina. So basically, Martina says, ma'am, there's a number of stories that you gave in this particular case involving the killing. There was one that you gave to De Detective Flores. He's the lead detective on this case. I'm assuming this was when she originally said she was not involved mm -hmm. at all. She says yes. He goes on to show her a portion of an interview. He then asks her, you still gave another view of what happened to 48 Hours, right? She says that she thinks her she was inconsistent in her lies. Yes. Literally. So he brings out the other one. So basically they were both saying that they were both regarding the home of invasion theory. So like in the first interview, she's saying that she saw Travis on his knees. She asked him if he was okay, what's going on. And he just was like, go get help, go get help. And she said, okay, turns around and there were two people there, a guy and a girl. Hmm. So she was giving like really weird details. Right. Um, and the next one, it says that Arius was speaking to 48 hours. She was saying, quote, I was hit on the back of the head. I don't think I was out very long, but when I came to, Travis was on all fours on the tile, but one of his hands was actually holding his head. Martinez points out that there was another version of events that occurred on June, on June 4th, 2008. She says yes, and he basically gets her to admit that none of these versions were true. Another really interesting thing, though, was when she, that the interview spoke about, like her perception of what happened with Jody. So, uh, I believe it's an interviewer from 48 Hours. They just give the last name Baden, B-A-D-E-N. Mm -hmm. um, this person says that her experience with other defendants suggests that the story that Arius was telling 48 Hours may contain elements of the truth. Um, they say, Jody gave us secrets in those interviews. She gave us an insight right into what she is thinking. Um because there's an interview with 48 hours that's shown in court she was in the bathroom standing over travis and i charged her meaning the woman assailant yeah if you will jody was saying what she was doing to the assailant mm -hmm. is how i read it so Baden says she talked about having a fight with a woman and she describes the woman who attacked travis as being about her height and caucasian so this woman this Baden, is basically saying jody's describing herself yeah and what she's doing to travis almost from like above kind of thing like, like an, an out, out of body experience mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um she then talks about power later on in that interview and she talks about having a gun um they just kept our they this is from jody's interview they i guess the assailants the mm -hmm. man and the woman just kept arguing back and forth whether or not you know to kill me um, and if, if somebody has a gun to your head, you have the ultimate power. This is somebody who's seen way too many movies. Right. Like, way too many. Because uh, I, I thought this was very interesting because in the interview, Jody's yes, she's making up stories. But like Baden says, it has an element of the truth. But I think it's Jody's saying what actually happened just from an outside perspective, if you will. Yeah. It's, it's really, really crazy. And we'll get to, they bring up the photographs also, and we'll talk more about that in, mm -hmm. a, in a hot minute. 
But I thought that the interviewer's perspective was really interesting because it's almost like she's telling him the truth, but she's also lying. Right. Which I think is just very, very what this case is. Right. <laughs> like, right. Very batshit bananas. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Cuckoo bananas. Pretty much. Um, so over the course of the next few days, Martinez continues to point out the inconsistencies of Jody's testimonies. He played the interview of Inside Edition. Uh, this is the one where she spoke those fateful words, no jury will convict me. Mm-hmm. That bitch. Um, she does go on to say that at the time of giving that interview, she had every intention of ending her own life. So, yes, she was extremely confident that no jury would convict her because she didn't actually expect things to get this far. Because she wouldn't be here for this trial. Or the conviction. Or any of <sighs> So, after the video was replayed, Martinez prompted Jody to agree. Basically, she wouldn't be convicted because she was innocent. While Jody agrees she was combative and flippant, Martinez also gets Jody to admit to stabbing and shooting Travis, trying to poke holes in her previous claims of experiencing a lapse in her memory regarding the time of the crime. Which, that is a thing. It is. <laughs> so, Jody's various stories aside, the prosecution does bring up some critical pieces of evidence that kind of speaks for themselves. Most importantly being the photographs. Martinez tells the jurors that these are accidental photographs that were taken, and they're photographs that the killer likely did not want taken. Um, the interviewer points out that when Jody did her interview, she makes a claim, and this is actually really interesting. Mark told me about this too, that Jody talks about how she documents everything through photos. Because she's been a photographer since the age of right. 10. But you know that she's not able to produce a single photograph of any of the injuries she sustained after the fact? Weird. I find that odd. Even as somebody who suffered abuse, like, if you document everything, would you not document this? Right. I would, one would think. It definitely, definitely doesn't fit well. And the interviewer goes on to say it's kind of amazing that she actually documented herself committing this murder which i mean and this is where my frustration comes from in this trial is because we didn't need we didn't need this dog and pony show right you know what i mean like it really could have been like like the the evidence the evidence was there the evidence speaks for itself she was in the photos the rental car had red stains no her hand reasonable doubt one would think there's really none one would think that I don't even care for Travis all like that as a human, but like, there was no way that you could say that Jody didn't do this. I'm right. sorry, but there's like, no way. Guilty. No. Guilty. So the defense ultimately gets the chance to pre- present their case, where they're gonna try to convince people that try Jody to dig didn't out of do that anything. Mm-hmm. The situation was not in their favor. The jury just sat through weeks of the prosecution just raking Jody through the coals. They certainly had their work cut out for them. One of the witnesses for the defense was psychologist Richard Samuels. His testimony alone lasted for almost six days. He said that it was likely that Jody had been suffering from acute stress at the time of the murder and mentions that he had diagnosed her with PTSD after the fact. Basically, he explains that what happens in your body, it goes into fight or flight mode, and that this can cause the brain to stop retaining memory. Jurors took some time to ask follow-up questions, one of them being, 
Can this scenario occur even if this murder is premeditated? The doctor responds with, is it possible? Yes. Okay. Is it probable? No. Huh. <clears throat> Martinez comes in during cross and attacks the doctor's credibility, claiming that he was biased based on the relationship that he and Jody had formed. Which might... Ew. I mean, he didn't specify on relationship, but from what I could see, he's referring to a compassion that the, the doctor showed for Jody. Right. That, I, I don't know. I feel as though... Uh, in that instance, that would happen to a degree. <laughs> they're Especially not supposed to be necessarily unbiased if Especially they're treating a, a patient. Therapist, if they're trying to figure out what's going like on with them mm-hmm. mentally, like I don't know. I don't feel like I feel like it was really hard for me to get my diagnosis of PTSD. I don't think they're just throwing that around all right. willy nilly. Right. <laughs> I like, could be wrong, but you get PTSD. <laughs> you get PTSD. <laughs> Honestly, though. <laughs> So, next up is a psychotherapist by the name of, we're going to go with Elise LaViolette. She is called to the stand. Um, This person specializes in domestic violence and testified that Jody was a victim of domestic violence after interviewing her for a total of 44 hours. She said that it likely wasn't common knowledge because most victims don't tell anybody about what they suffer. They are often ashamed and humiliated. Which is a true fact. Which is true. The psychotherapist goes on to talk about how Jody was allegedly warned about abusive behavior via emails from Travis's close friends. Which I have never seen a document supporting that. Me it either. doesn't mean that it doesn't exist because no, a lot sure. of this stuff did get sealed. But just for the transparency, I didn't find a damn thing that Me supported either. this. Um, so obviously the jury had a butt ton of questions in this instance for this witness. It was nearly 160 different questions. Most of them were focused on Jody's credibility. Um, Martinez brings the conversation back around to sex because I think that's all he wants to talk about. Uh, literally. Um, he's trying to ask, uh, La Violette if Jody was faking her enjoyment during the phone sex. Obviously, because the psychotherapist was not there, she was having a hard time answering, um, telling Martinez that she was an expert in, I love it, she was an expert in domestic violence, not orgasms. Thank you very much. She got real sassy from what I I read. Because apparently, from everything we're seeing, this prosecutor just... He was very aggressive in his... They're supposed, they're supposed to be to a degree, but, like, this was, like, excessively... There's there's a firm line, I think, between being direct and firm and not taking any bullshit... Right. ...to being aggressive. And, and I don't know. And obnoxious to a degree. Especially because in the way our justice system is supposed to work... Not that Jody was innocent, and I'm not saying that at all, but it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Right. And I feel like when you're throwing a hissy fit and you're throwing shit around and you're just screaming at witnesses, like that, how is that a presumed innocence? Well, I don't, th- this isn't laying out facts. This is him just asking for speculation and asking yeah. people to look into things that they very clearly are stating that I don't have an expertise right. in that, so why are you asking me these questions? It definitely felt like any moment he could drag Jody, he, he would. And, so, and yeah. I get it. I, I really do. She's not a good person, and she deserves we to be like in jail. Um, I think that it was unfortunate for the witnesses most oh, for sure. mostly in this situation and the jurors were probably it had to have been watching like How watching grenades being lobbed about Honestly. like just <laughs> uh, oh god so uncomfortable for them 
So the prosecution has a clinical uh, clinical psychologist testify on their behalf. She states that she found no evidence that Travis had abused Jody, nor did she see any evidence of PTSD or amnesia. Her name was Janine DeMart. She goes on to say that the long-term memory loss that Jody claims to have experienced is inconsistent with the traumatic amnesia that commonly is associated with PTSD. That's not true, though. I don't know if it wasn't true then and just more has come out, but I did some research because, as y'all know, your girl has post-traumatic stress disorder. And I have done a lot of research for my own personal self on what happens to your brain. So, really fun fact, guys. When you experience trauma, memory loss is actually, like, directly linked to that experience. So, basically, what research shows is that it may be temporary, but it also may be permanent. It's kind of like a crapshoot. It's different. There's no definitive way one way or the other. I feel like that's like with anything with the brain. It is. You could hit your head and be perfectly fine, or you could hit your head and become Nanny Doss and start murdering people. <laughs> honestly. You never can tell. It's honestly really true. And I'm not trying, I'm just trying to share some knowledge in this instance, because um, I find this really, really interesting, and I think it's not something that's really well known. So when a traumatic incident happens, it causes a great deal of stress. Uh, both short-term and long-term. And what happens is that stress response impacts different areas of your brain. Most importantly, the hippocampus, the amygdala, and the prefrontal cortex. I don't know if you guys know this, but those control memories. Oh, weird. And things of the like. And did you know that your brain can change shape and volume in response to stress? That checks out. So they think that people who have extreme PTSD, for whatever reason, behavioral issues, you know, really bad panic attacks, just memory loss, all the things, what they believe happened is that the, it just gets physically changed. Right. Like the brain, your brain, which is so like unheard of. So then it very well could have been true. But I just find it so interesting because the prefrontal cortex helps your working memory. And then the hippocampus is your memory center. And it's just like all of these things kind of like roll into you now into one another and then you have your amygdala which where did it go it processes the fear-based memories so if your amygdala gets changed physically anything that's associated with fear is going to be affected Hmm. so i just thought that was kind of like a really interesting little side note that in this situation i don't think it applies right i definitely think that jody is lying but I just thought it was really interesting because it is something that happens. Oh, for sure. And that... If she's not lying, she's definitely expanding on the truth. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Well, and it's not really a common knowledge, so I just thought I'd share a little bit. Hell yeah. So, DeMart also claims that Jody could be suffering from borderline personality disorder due to her showing signs of mature- immaturity and having an unstable sense of identity. And we learned about Borderline when we talked about Kemper. Mm -hmm. And Borderline's no fucking joke. Not at all. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The unstable sense of identity, I could see that, because when she was with her boyfriend and they had the house, she immediately was like, well, let me throw all this comfort to the wind Mm -hmm. for Mormonism and whatever potential Travis could have, you know? So very clearly she's looking for who she is. 100%. Not in a good eat, love, pray kind of way, but (laughs) like, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. In the more dangerous, In the worst kind of psycho way. way. Um, so, 
having psychologists testify was all the rage during this trial. We see yet another one. <laughs> this time for the defense, Robert Geffner. He says that borderline is not an appropriate diagnosis, that all signs point towards an anxiety disorder that stemmed from trauma. He is basing all of this off of the tests Jody went through since her arrest. He also claims that this proves that Jody was being honest. Which is far-fetched in my not-so-professional opinion. I was going to say, at the very least, (laughs) far-fetched. His testimony is then disputed by a forensic neuropsychologist, Jill Hayes. She says that the MMPI test that was given to Jody was not geared towards diagnosing borderline, basically saying that the results he is basing his diagnosis off of is ultimately like bad data. Yeah. Or, or data that wasn't gathered for that purpose. So you can't base a diagnosis off of that. It's so frustrating because every single psychologist, psychiatrist, what the fuck ever in this trial. <laughs> Psycho. Psycho something. Therapist. Has conflicting information. There's not a single one or like a single two that has something similar. Because really. I don't, when I was reading through articles, I was just like, who are these people? Yeah. Like, how did they find all these people? Who had the... Granted, it's been years since her arrest, but who right. has the time to commit to, to diagnosing somebody? I mean, and that's the you thing, You don't just too. say, oh, you have borderline. I've spent 45 minutes with you. Very clearly, you have borderline personality disorder. That's I not how that works. I have to get evaluated relatively soon here um, because they think I have ADHD and they think I have a mood disorder. So, hey, fun for me. But... They, it's a four-hour process, and I was like, after four hours? Like, I, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm kind of looking forward to it, just because I'm so curious I feel to as know. So, after the initial four hours, will they then go forward, like, we can maybe say it's this, and we'll reevaluate in a couple months type status? From what I understand, they will tell me what my diagnosis is. Or they'll just be like, here's the pills. And then enjoy. my doctor, like, my medical doctor will be the one that would be prescribing me anything because my medical doctor is who prescribed my antidepressant and then I I mean I see I haven't for a while I have to get back to her but I have a therapist that I see individually so likely I will go to an actual psychiatrist get evaluated get diagnosed then I will work with my therapist to make sure that it's a true diagnosis is what I'm understanding the process to be. I just feel like, so Jody's in prison with nothing better to do than talk to psychos, whoever's. Well, and it sounds so, like to me, she's a storyteller. So yeah. she probably has some time to. She's a yarn spinner, y'all. Mm-hmm. So she probably, well, and, and our, our guy observed Logan said she basically sounded rehearsed in yes. a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that she's spending her free time in her cell rehearsing. Yeah. How, who she's going to be that day, how she is going to speak that day, like what perception she is going to give people that's that day. That's how I kind of gather take from her. All of this. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I take her, period. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is a really weird, <laughs> a really weird thing that happens. We really like weird stuff, though, so. It's true. So, this is probably my favorite argument that gets I made. Because I read this and then I read it six times and then I was like, I don't understand it. I'm still going to put it I in my confused. research because what the fuck. But I found I found an article that kind of broke it down a little bit more. So, I, I think I understand what happened. So, there's this whole thing about a gas can that Jody purchased. <laughs> she bought this five-gallon gas can from a Walmart located in Salinas. An employee from that location was called to testify 
Because Jody said that she purchased it on June 3rd, 2008, which, if you'll remember, is the day before that Travis was murdered. Mm-hmm. And that she had returned it the very same day. This employee, though, says that they have no record of a return of a gas can at all for that day. And this was kind of a big deal because the prosecution was utilizing this to establish a premeditation saying that Jody was absolutely planning to try and avoid being seen on camera at various gas stations on the way to Arizona, which Because remember, she wasn't supposed to be in Arizona. She was supposed to be from California to Salt Lake City to California to return the rental car with no... Do not collect go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. <laughs> do you not go, go to back. Mesa. Yep. <laughs> huh. Right. Exactly. Intriguing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as is par for the course, apparently, before we make it to the end of this trial, it's there such a shit show. <laughs> are going to be some issues with the jury. Um, on April third, a juror was dismissed for misconduct, according to Kirk Nurmi lead defense attorney he sounds like a muppet does that not sound like a muppet or somebody from the labyrinth (laughs) yeah um like one of the little wormy guys or like fraggle rock Mm -hmm. oh i could totally see that um he filed for or he filed the motion for dismissal because quote statements juror five made in front of her fellow jurors amounts to misconduct that inserted partiality in what is supposed to be an impartial body, end quote. Lawyers speak for this bitch said things that could possibly sway other people, I think. And that she was not an unbiased person when you, on a jury. The thing is, I think, I feel like this is like driving. Like, a lot of people are so cavalier about driving, but the reality is, is it's a responsibility to mm-hmm. have a license. Oh, you sure. have your own life and the life of everyone else around you at risk if you do not take driving seriously. Right. I feel like being a juror is the same thing. Like, it's something that's looked at as, like, an obligation that nobody wants to go do. I get it. But, like, if you are a part of this, you have to take it seriously, and you have to be willing to check any bias. Right. Hence why I could never that's, I was be on a jury. I was going to be like, I will never be chosen. Which, I can't. Just as a weird caveat, my dad, I don't know if he just has a really good number or what, but he has been called for, like, 47 jury summons, oh, like, in his lifetime. I think he sat on one jury. Oh. Out of all of them. That's not bad odds. Frustrating, though. They pay you, like, six cents a day to, Mm -hmm. you know, serve your civil obligation. And he was like, yeah, the guy was guilty. It was like a robbery case or something. Mm. I was just like, dear Lord. But I think I've been called twice and my number was not picked, so. I've been called twice, but I wasn't asked to show up either time. Yeah, same <laughs> I was like, okay, great. My dad always has to go and then sit. Mm. And either the jury fills up before his number's called, or, yeah, that's usually what happens. He always has to go, though. I yeah. don't know how that's a thing. I was told that my service was no longer requested. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I literally told them on the questionnaire that I was not capable of being unbiased. I think they say your service is no longer required because it is a requirement. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Come hell, hailstorm, (laughs) winter storms, children, cats, dogs, deaths in the family will get you out of serving on a jury. Unless you tell them you can't be unbiased. So I've cracked the code, you guys. There is a lot of stuff, though, that I don't think I could be unbiased about. 
That's accurate. If you are a victim of a crime, that automatically counts you out. And if you're being honest, which we're seeing, we're seeing like the ramifications in real time right now with the Scott Peterson trial, mm-hmm. which we're going to do an update for you guys because there's been some movement there's on that. There's some new a shit side, happening. A little side note. But I mean, it's, it's, it's important. When you're on a jury, you have to take it seriously. And we see so many of these little like weird caveats of stuff that's like oh they weren't impartial they're so implicit they lied on their whatever so like these are the rules you must follow (laughs) like you you know you can't do this well there's no room for doubt and then they're like it's fine we'll just do whatever we want anyway so all of this information came out during a meeting regarding the out-of-courtroom behavior of none other than Mr. Prosecutor Juan Martinez. My favorite. Put a pin in that. We'll get to it. Don't you worry. Oh, don't Don't, worry. Don't you worry. We can't wait to talk about it. Um, In regard to the juror dismissal, Nermi asked for a mistrial, but this is denied. Two more jurors exit the scene over the course of the next few weeks. One was actually excused for health reasons, which shit happens this would be hella fucking stressful so i can only imagine like yeah. my panic would be through the roof with my anxiety <laughs> panic attack every yes. day <laughs> um the other juror was just dis- apparently they weren't sequestered so this yeah. juror wound up getting a dui during the course of the trial it's not funny i'm not laughing you know what i think but, is what grinds my gears about this case is that if it was anybody but jo- jody arias I think on the stand or going through this trial, I'd be so pissed that the mistrial was denied because right. with the way our justice system is supposed to work, it should have been, it should not have been denied. Oh, for sure. And I, I think that's my issue. I think my issue is that like my immediate gut reaction is like, well, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but I also don't think that Jody deserves to have a mistrial. Well, so we, I think we that's where my like back and forth kind of comes from. During the jury selection, there was I think it was the prosecution was xing out women and people of color, mm-hmm. and the defense was like, "Yo, judge, what's good? Like, well, you're not it, supposed to do that." They're certainly not gonna want a pro- no prosecutor trying to a case like this who has the emphasis on degrading women through sex the way that Juan Martinez does is going to want a jury full of women. Right. Because then justice isn't going to get served. Jody would have been acquitted. acquitted. I would put money on it. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I'm a perfect example of how, like, grating this is to hear just as a woman. It's so hard sometimes for me to check myself and be like, no, Jody deserves the jail sentence she deserves the guilty verdict like you know it's it's a lot it's It's a lot to go through (laughs) it all could have been solved at the beginning but the judge was like no we good why'd you have to 18 days on the on the stand for jody to testify that's ridiculous and not necessary i would have to concur are dropping dead basically literally too much from stress and alcohol it's insane (laughs) but we finally made it to closing argument. Oh dear Lord. <laughs> May fourth. It seems like a lifetime. <laughs> Jody's defense says, and I quote, What happened in that moment in time? The relationship. The relationship of chaos that ended in chaos as well. There's nothing about what happened on June fourth in that bathroom that looks planned. And I will say, the scene is very chaotic. So while I think that she had intentions to do what she did, 
I don't think she, like, planned the details out. I think she first wanted to threaten him, and yeah. then when she found she wasn't going to get her way, then she wanted yes. to hurt him. I think you're right. And then it became personal for her. It I, was my thought. That's a really good take on it, I think, because I don't feel like maybe her... I don't think maybe her initial, like you said, her initial... I don't initial, think murder was on her brain from the gate, but... Think back to what that interviewer said about power. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting take. Like, I'll just strong arm and threaten him back into a relationship, or to getting what I want, or to hearing what I want. It, yeah. That, that's my thought. And then when he didn't give that is when... Shit went awry. It all went that, crazy. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's my theory. A. So the defense continues on saying... Couldn't it also be that after everything they went through in that relationship that she simply snapped? Ooh, Which girl. I do think played a huge Might role. Be, yeah. For sure. I think she snapped like said, regardless. Well, yeah, she may have snapped beforehand, but... Mm-hmm. Something... There was a moment where she went down... She was already going down dark behavior. Well, there was murder. the stalking. There was the breaking into his voicemail. There was the slashing of the tires. There was knocking on the girlfriend's right. windows and doors. Like this is just like you're such already a, exhibiting like very bad behavior. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but I feel like even somebody capable of those still has to like have something that causes that moment. You're like, okay, now I'm going to hurt somebody. Right. Oh, no, for like, sure. At that, that point, is a turning point, he, yeah. she wasn't hurting him physically. She wasn't hurting her physically. It wasn't okay, but she didn't cross that line. Right. But then she obviously did. Um, ultimately, the defense argues, if Miss Arias is guilty of any crime at all, it is the crime of manslaughter and nothing more. Martinez refuted with, quote, There is no evidence that he ever laid a hand on her, ever, which I think is mostly true. There's, I think, some allusions to it, but, like... Yeah, they definitely allude to, like, it might could have been a thing, but it's not ever, as far as I saw, laid out Mm -hmm. and confirmed, yeah. He continues to say, nothing indicates that this is anything less than a slaughter. There's no way way to appease this woman who wouldn't, who would, excuse me, who just wouldn't leave him alone. Martinez was not eloquent. (laughs) <laughs> by any means. Right. Uh, basically, he goes on to document the extent to which Travis has been harmed. Which, it, like we said previously, it, it was a lot. It We're was, not going to relive it. It was a lot. It was more than any person would ever deserve. Yeah, so, again. 100%. Viciously, viciously. The snap thing fits here because there's so much rage mm-hmm. behind it that it's like. That's, that's really the, the big reason why I do believe it was premeditated. But I do believe there was a moment. At some point where she did just... Where it went sideways. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Because, this, like we said before, there's just such rage. Well, there's, there's hurting, there's injuring, there's maiming, and then there's what happened here. Yes. I agree. That this 100%. was, whoa, yeehaw. <laughs> Whole nother level. Um, so finally, on May 7th, 2013, after just 15 hours of deliberation, <laughs> Jody Ann Arias is found guilty of first-degree murder by a unanimous vote from the jury. We may have mentioned that this case drew quite the crowd. Um, so many people just hung around outside of the courthouse, which, again, to me, is just so creepy. I read in your notes <laughs> that they were selling seats inside for, like, 200 plus dollars mm-hmm. a yeah. day. First of all, who is in charge of selling the tickets? I'm sure it's some <laughs> weird black market thing where mm-hmm. it's like the Scott Peterson case where if you're 
number is called in the lottery, you get mm. to be in the gallery. Like that one person who is there every day. Oh, right. Mm. You know that bitch bought them on, like, the weird black ticket market. <laughs> you, right. Y'all are crazy. <laughs> so all these people were just hanging around outside of the courthouse, and when the verdict was finally read, everyone just began cheering and chanting and basically just partying wildly. Um, inside the courtroom, Travis's family smiled and hugged. Um, minutes after her conviction, Jody pulled a what Jody does best and <laughs> gave a statement Jody. to the media. Uh, she says, quote, I believe death is the ultimate freedom, and I'd rather have my freedom as soon as I can get it, end quote. Mm-hmm. But she didn't mean that because she said she was going to kill herself, and she didn't do that either. So, right. bitch, you'd be lying. Right. Despite being found guilty, the prosecution has more work to do. They now have to convince the jury that the murder was cruel, heinous, or depraved enough in order to make her eligible for the death penalty. Which, I mean, it kind of was. <laughs> I, think, I think it was, personally. Defense attorneys Nermi and Wilmot needed to convince jurors that she should not be executed. But, thanks to Jody's previous request for death... Like, basically just shouted it from the rafters in the mother-booping courtroom. Honestly. Girl. The two lawyers now have a conflict of interest on their hands. So, basically, they they have to do... As their defense lawyer, they need to try to keep their client off death row. Right. Which is their job. They also have to cater to their client's interest, which now is that Jody's statement that she'd rather die. Because of this, they actually met with the judge and requested that they be allowed to step down. Which, why wouldn't they be? And they were denied. What? I, okay, so again, I'm not saying Jody didn't de- deserve what she got, but I have a feeling that the judge was just like, no, I'm going to run this bitch into the ground. Ugh. Which only makes me mad because I just feel like it's such a, it's just not how it's supposed to work. And it's so, I feel so, like, infantile being like, it's not how it's supposed to work, because our justice system never does. But (laughs) it makes me angry, you know? I just don't, I don't know. If you don't feel like you can adequately defend somebody from the death penalty versus life in prison, then why would they keep you there? Like, I just don't... All, from what I read, too, this is something that happens, like, fairly often in these kinds of cases, because if a person gets found guilty and they say that they'd rather die... A lawyer ha- is stuck. Well, yeah. They're stuck. And so this happens often. These these requests get made, and generally they get approved. So mm. it was really weird that this got denied. Um, so they opted for just providing, like, brief opening and closing statements. They, it seemed as if they kind of did, like, one, like, the, the bare minimum right. of their job kind of thing. And throughout this process, there was only one witness that was called, period, from either side, and it was the Emmy who provided the autopsy. Which I'm sure was graphic and horrible. Mm, so. Oh, yeah, you'll see why. <sighs> Martinez, Mr. Martinez, proceeds to show actual photos of the autopsy and the crime scene. He even went as far as pausing for two minutes of silence so he could illustrate how long it would have taken Travis to die. I have to say, that had to have been very impactful. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't imagine having to sit in that courtroom during that as a juror, as just somebody as watching anybody. it, like any of it. I even will give if you him, know all the nitty gritties. I too. will give him credit for that move, for sure. Because, as we discussed last week, Travis ultimately passed away due to blood loss. So right. it's not like it was a quick 
And there was defensive wounds mm-hmm. as well. So there was a struggle, and then there was all the things that happened. Mm-hmm. So, um, it only takes the jury three hours this time to deliberate, uh, and they do come back with a resounding, fuck yes, she is eligible for the death penalty. <laughs> Uh, The penalty phase of the process was next. This would include any victim impact statements, giving the family of Travis and Jody to both have an opportunity to speak. Which is pretty normal during these kinds of things. So, next up on May 21st, Jody addresses the jury herself. (sighs) And she provides an allocution, which is basically being like, hey, let me barter with you. And so she asks for a life sentence versus the death penalty she states that she was lacking perspective when she previously wished for death which may have been the only time she really actually told the truth because that fucking checks out yeah during the statements that she made she says things like she would this is where she loses me she says that she would like to do things like donate her hair while in jail to locks of love or sell sell clothing and not just any clothing. It's clothing that's going to have the word survivor on it. And then donate the money to domestic violence victims. Susan and I have touched on, like, us having our own moments with things. And I think this is just offensive to anybody who has been in a domestic violence situation. Mm-hmm. Only because while you may have been abused, now you're just... Being an asshole about it. To try to get what you want. Like, you're just like, oh, look at... Survivor is for beating cancer. Yes, you survived domestic violence, but you shouldn't be blatantly being like, I survived. Most people don't wear that badge as a badge of honor. No, it's not. It's like, I barely made it out intact kind of thing. Not like, I'm a survivor like Destiny's Child kind of shit. Like... No, bitch I, it, is delusional. It just puts it on a level in which it doesn't need to be, and and this is this is why the trial turned into like a huge shit show. The way I that feel, it did. though, in her head, she thinks she's doing a good thing. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, I know it, it's a lot of self preservation, but I think to a degree, she thinks like, well, this will help my either me or my case or something. I'm like, yeah. And, what? like, maybe it's one of those things where, like, it's a selfish need in the first place, but the end result will still be something positive, so, like, why not kind of thing? Like... Terrible idea. Yeah. It's just selfishness person. at the end of the day. Narcissistic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, two days later, we have got a hung jury. They could not reach a decision, and they were deadlocked with a vote of eight to four. The majority were, in fact, in favor of the death penalty. Um, therefore, the judge had to declare a mistrial. Um, the jury foreman actually spoke on the mistrial after being dismissed. He said, quote, by the end of it, we were mentally and emotionally exhausted. I think we were horrified when we found out that they had actually called a mistrial and we felt like we had failed, end quote. Yeah, that makes me sad that's, for them. Again, though, that's so fucking sad. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's giving somebody the death penalty, but... It's- but this is a very deserving person of such a thing. This is why the system is the way that it is, though, because it, it, I, I get it. In order to impose the death penalty, you have to have a full vote. And I think that that is necessary and appropriate. I think that's absolutely correct. I yeah. do feel bad for the emotional toll that this takes on these kind. Like, even the Scott Peterson trial, like, those jurors went through a lot. Remember that one guy? He's, his life was allegedly threatened. Right. Like, these high-profile, like, federal, like, felony cases... 
they can get really intense and really scary for jurors. Especially now, given the way social media is. Ugh. It's good when it works. It's horrible when it goes wrong. Yeah, status, you for know? sure. Um, the next steps here were to try and seat an impartial jury, which... The fuck? <laughs> um, it was possible that the victim's family and prosecution could decide to not move forward with the new trial and settle for a life sentence with no possibility of parole. So... Hmm. Let's talk mistrial filings before Ugh. we get into the appeals. Oh my god, there's so Because much. there was three, three filings in the year of 2013. So, in January, the defense was claiming that the lead detective, Esteban Flores, perjured himself. And this was actually new information to me, uh, which I find very interesting. During the pre-trial hearing and then the actual hearing in 2000 or the pre-trial hearing and then the actual hearing, he states that the gunshot happened first. Ooh. That he had a conversation with the Emmy, and with that and also his own review of the crime scene, it was apparent that the gunshot happened first and actually had incapacitated Travis, which I think his goal was to show that Jody then did everything else needlessly. Right. I mean, it was all needless to begin with. out of rage, not out of, like... But that the gunshot had incapacitated him. It would have been enough by itself. Right. Without the stabbings and slashing. The ME, though, contradicts this during his own testimony in the same trial and says that given the defensive wounds that Travis had, the shot likely came later. And then he later testified that during the autopsy, he was able to determine that it was, in fact, done post-mortem. So, Flores claims that he simply just misunderstood what the Emmy said and came to the wrong conclusion because of that. Mm, I don't... Mm. Who... And that's the thing. This is another instance where that's completely possible. And my could. You very be. well could have gotten mm. it confused. I don't trust police, generally speaking. So, I don't know that I believe you, well, but... I don't... I, in my opinion, if you make it to being a detective, you sort of know your shit. Right. At least Better you should. than, like, you know, the brand new straight out of the police academy mm-hmm. so I, I know mistakes could be made but like i don't quite yeah but it's like mistakes that these are careers in which when mistakes are made they can be fatal yeah so i mean maybe mm-hmm. take the extra second to make right. sure double check triple check check your work mm. yeah i'm just saying um so this brings us up to april the defense now is alleging that martinez was behaving inappropriately which checks out Mm -hmm. uh he was posing for pictures with his quote-unquote fans who is a fan of a prosecutor literally no i I mean people with their own mental issues i think Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but he was actually Mm -hmm. posing for these photos on the steps of the courthouse it was gross you guys he would literally leave court after being a dickhead all day granted some of it was warranted but still and then he would just pose all these it was really creepy um They also said that basically the case resembled a modern-day witch hunt. The defense additionally claimed that prosecutorial misconduct has infested these proceedings with a level of unfairness that cannot be cured by any other means, and that there was a quote-unquote circus-like atmosphere inside the courtroom, which sounds right because... Mm 
Mm-hmm. Martinez, obviously, they now these are claims, but uh, from what I've read, it actually happened. You can watch the videos of him he was in court yelling at witnesses, attacking them on a personal level, and throwing evidence physically, like physically throwing it around. And this man, I think personally, has like a bit of a Napoleon complex. So like, it literally looks like a teenager mm. throwing a fit. Ooh, I know people like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, the defense said that Jody was not able to present a complete defense because of this and was constitutionally deserving of a mistrial because of that. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we'll never know if it would have went a different way had there not been a media circus. Because, I mean, we we touched on this during the Peterson case, not to, like, keep going back to that, but, like, it's, it's the most, like similar in terms of media exposure i feel at least for yeah, our own personal are experience selling tickets to be in the gallery like what is your problem and then how do, how can justice work the way under it's that kind to? of lens though that's like putting a hollywood camera in yeah. front of a courtroom it makes and then no you have somebody me. who is very clearly somebody who has narcissistic traits like jody she's gonna pander to that oh absolutely and she does because she's you know constantly putting on makeup and she was concerned hair. about what she looked like in her mugshot. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe she knew she was going to go to jail forever, so she at least wanted, like, one last cute picture. I don't know. It's stupid either way. So in May, a witness for the defense started receiving death threats and declined to testify on Jody's behalf because she was scared for her life. And I would be so interested to know. Who this person what? is and what they have to say. Yeah. Thank you. Me too. I just I don't know that it would change anything I about how I feel about it because at the end of the day she definitely did she deserves to be in jail for yeah. it but I do wonder would it change my mind from first degree murder to manslaughter I, I I'm curious I'm with you you know what I mean like absolutely I, I feel like if for her to be threatened to the been. point literally to the point where she's like I'm withdrawing myself yeah. as a witness I'm like, not doing I can't this. Do it. So because of this, a motion was filed by the defense requesting a mistrial, stating that, quote, it should also be noted that these threats follow those made to Elise LaViolette, a record of which was made ex parte and under seal. Do you guys know what ex parte and under seal means? Because we did not. I don't. (laughs) So I Googled it. We do now. So in a civil procedure... Ex parte is used to refer to motions for orders that can be granted without waiting for a response from the other side. So basically, these are orders that are only in place until further hearings can be held, like a temporary restraining order is uh, done So I feel like they're like, um, not emergency, but sort of, like uh, emergency orders that will stand until they have time to get both sides together and right. figure it out. Or it doesn't require the other side for whatever reason, which I don't know what, what that would fit, but... Yeah. Like a restraining order, I a would PFA. assume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can go to the... Speaking from personal experience, you can go to the judge, state your case, whatever, whatever. They'll grant you a temporary one. Right. And then both parties will have to go in front of an additional judge... Okay. ...to present their evidence, if you will. And so that would lead me to believe mm-hmm. that the temporary would fall under ex parte. Right. So, a case being under seal means that um, it's a procedure allowing sensitive or confidential information to be filed with the court without becoming a public of matter, or I'm sorry, a matter of public record. Getting ahead of myself. I like a public of matter. Eh. 
The court generally must give permission for the materials to remain under seal. So it sounds like to me these threats got reported and documented, but were not made for public view. Well, so obviously this person, this witness, still remains unnamed to this day. Right. And I don't actually know what threats were made to La Violette, so I'm assuming you also all that don't believe that's her real name. No, <laughs> she literally in her notes was like, "This is an alias." It has to be. <laughs> it has to be. It definitely doesn't feel real. Real? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, no judgments. If yeah. that is what is, I need to have a conversation with your parents. <laughs> Coming from Suzanne Renee, we need to have a discussion. <laughs> I like it. I hated it when I was young. That's I wanted fair. to change my name. When I was young, I wanted to change my name also because I didn't have a nickname because mm-hmm. my name is literally four letters. Yeah. And I was always also really irritated by the fact that people assumed my name was Brianna and it's not. Oh. Like your name was a nickname? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not. I, one of our good old kitchen managers used one night decided to call me Brianne for like five minutes and I just ignored him. Because it's not my name. And I was like, he That's got, not so, my name. That's he got so salty. He's like, Bree. And I was like, oh, yeah. What do you need? He's like, I've been calling. I was like, I don't know who this Brianna bitch is, but it certainly it isn't me. me. So I feel you. Hmm. As an adult, as I've gotten older, I really love my name. And my middle name is my grandmother's name. So I'm very connected to it. So My mom was going through a French phase. <laughs> really? Yes. Well, you Literally. Wine fest, like, French phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just... Mm. We'll get my mom on here one of these days. She'll tell you all about it. (laughs) Um, The last little part of that bit was that this motion, as well as a motion to stay proceedings until all of this could get figured out, was denied. Because the defense was searching for time to appeal these decisions in the first place. Right. (laughs) I just, again, we're not doubting her guilt. No, not at all. That's never been a question. It just... We're just doubting all of these things. <laughs> I just don't understand the mindset. Like, I don't understand the decision-making. None of it feels like it was done right. And I, I'm not I'm not a lawyer. I am not in the legal profession. I don't know. This could be the way that's supposed to go, but it feels if icky. If this is right, like, oh, it dear feels, Lord. It feels weird, so right? So you're telling me a man can just walk into court and because he's a prosecutor just <laughs> right. start screaming at you and just that's <laughs> this how things work? This is completely fine. Ugh. All right. Ugh. So... Anyways, before we go down that long track, Mm -hmm. we're going to talk appeals. So, May 2013, the Arizona Supreme Court declines to hear an appeal that was filed months prior. Uh, Nermi wanted the high court to throw out the aggravating factor of cruelty based on the fact that the judge allowed it in the first place due to a different theory. So, So, basically, from what I understand... Um, the lead detective, when he made that mix-up, when he was like, okay, the gunshot happened first, the judge was like, okay, so this totally qualifies under the cruelty, heinous thing. Because of all the after the fact. Okay. So basically what Nermi was trying to argue is that you decided it was cruel and that it fit the criteria for the death penalty based on a false theory. That now we have proved is not accurate. Correct. Heard that. So they were discussing, again, Mr. Flores's mix-up right. about when the gunshot was fired, yep. which, I mean... Again, 
I, I don't it. like saying it, but it seems fair. <laughs> like I don't like it, but I sort of get I it. I don't necessarily believe that a, I mean, a full-blown mistrial, I would assume, would then go into a retrial, which hopefully would just mean that they were held to higher standards and just had to stick to the facts and the evidence. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we don't know what that looks like, because that's not the reality that we live in. that's not what happened. In October of 2014, sentencing retrial begins for Jody. Because they're not going to redo the whole trial. They just have to redo the, the sentencing part because of the jury being deadlocked. Uh, things of note that occurred during this. <laughs> this one is my favorite. The Walmart employee. Oh, remember her? <laughs> okay, so she comes back and she admits that she does not know if all the records were in fact transferred after a store relocation in 2010. So, basically... The Walmart that Jody bought the gas can at had the main store and then, like, the tire and lube part. So the main store moved and became a different store number. It was store 2458. But the tire and lube part store remained and then was later reopened as a full-blown Walmart under store number 5751. And those tills and transactions were reprogrammed to meet to match the new store number. So what Amanda, the employee, was saying when she testified that she had listed all the tills for the 2458 store, but that it's possible that the transaction that they were actually looking for was under the other store number's transactions. So they don't actually know. Couldn't you just be like, excuse me, may I go check this? But then because of the transfer, there's no way to know... Which they is didn't, which? The record keeping wasn't great. They don't really know which was which. There How wouldn't been any. Walmart. There I wouldn't be any way for them for to me. define exactly what happened right. just with the way that it happened. So basically, what Amanda was saying is that according to these records that we have, it didn't happen. But basically, this gives doubt. Right. This just shadows some doubt onto this particular thing, piece of evidence, and no longer makes it as uh, valid, really, in the eyes I mean, of the jury. Guess. I still believe it's true. I think that it's such a, a small thing at the end of the day that, like, even if she, even if this was proved to not be true at all, it doesn't matter. The, Jody did it. I think this that just lends itself to the premeditation of not being seen at convenience stores on the way gassing up. I feel like that's just a bow on this whole thing at this point. True. You could speak to the premeditation of the gun. True. The, the colored hair. The whole work conference trip with the way that it happened in the first place. They don't even need that. True. So I just thought it was interesting, though, that, like, this little thing happened. I feel happens. like he wants it, though. Oh, he does. <laughs> he, he does. Uh, so the retrial picks back up after the holiday break in January of 2015. Dear God, this is taking forever. We're going to have been together for five years at that point. Damn. January in 2015. <laughs> so experts admit that Travis's laptop contained several viruses as well as pornography. Which directly contradicts that previous testimony where we did not find any mm-hmm. pornography on any of his devices, they said. Because it, I think what Jody was maybe attempting to do was to just shed some light that Travis wasn't the devout Mormon that he was being painted or as. The- what did, what did Martinez say? The wonderful man? Or the blessing man? in her life. The best thing that's ever happened to yeah. her. Um. I think that she was just trying to kind of be like, look, like, he was into some shit, okay? Like, and I think that it's proven that he was. I think they both were. 
And I just find it very interesting that after the fact, they're like, well, I mean... It was there. <laughs> it was... But, I mean, who doesn't look at a little porn and, like, it shouldn't be a big deal. Because, I mean, it's whatever, but... Well, I just... It, it, add, it just adds itself to all of her other lies, though, is the issue. Like, the pedophilia and all that kind of stuff. But this like, was a I bad look. I know it wasn't perfect, but... But this was a bad look on the prosecution, because it does appear to have the vibe of them trying to cover up the fact or yeah to that hide it what the prosecu- that the prosecution was painting him to be slightly a better man than he was you right girl at least that's how i perceive the situation um march 2nd 2015 the jury finds themselves in another deadlock again i don't fault these people i don't either that's got to be so hard one thing i don't know that i could do is apply the death penalty Mm -hmm. to a case i don't know that i could do it i don't necessarily like inherently disagree with the death penalty i just don't know that i could be the person to impose that on right i i just don't think i could no i I have a lot of respect for people who sit on these kind of juries and go through it i don't it'd be really it'd be really difficult so the defense yet again requests a mistrial and you guys this is what really gets me (laughs) the judge denies it and gives, then gives the jury further instructions and directs them to go back and deliberate more. That's not how that works, though. This is this is why I feel like the judge also had a hard on for to sure give, to make sure that Jody was going to be executed. I don't even remember what this person's name is, but like, dear God, what? like, what is your problem? honestly? I almost feel like they're going to have a harder time in jail, mm-hmm. especially like. As we, we've said it several, several times, there's a hierarchy within the prison system, so... After Who knows, f- though? She may get a weird, creepy badge of honor. I mean, I don't know. God yeah. only knows. I don't even want to think about what her mm-hmm. life in jail is like. So after five days, that totaled about 26 hours of deliberation, the jury remained deadlocked. The vote was 11 to 1 in favor of the death penalty. And some jurors claim that the sole reason for the holdout was one sympathetic juror, and they claim that they had an agenda. Which, who knows? I Literally, that was all I could find. Well, like, and I... I think... Don't they ask you in your jury questionnaire about, like, the death penalty just mm-hmm. as, like, a hypothetical? Like, they do. Is this something that you could set aside any beliefs? Yeah. To be impartial about. So, I mean, it really went... Check that box. Does she have an agenda? Or maybe she was just sympathetic to... Maybe maybe she also thinks... the word sympathy. Well, that's what they said. Hmm. I... I don't have sympathy for Jody, but I wonder if this juror was like, okay, well, maybe maybe there is a trickle of truth to what she suffered. I don't think she should die because of it. That's what I was thinking that juror would think. Again. Well, and I don't... <clears throat> obviously, we were not there. Right. But I can't imagine sitting in that courtroom and just watching people being screamed at and right. things being thrown about and then be like, I'm going to be impartial about this. Like, right. That would make me feel some type of way. And again why I can't serve on a jury. Exactly. exactly. very clearly how At least we know this about ourselves. (laughs) I know it. I admit it. It's fine. Um, So, obviously, despite their attempts, the prosecution is not going to get the death penalty. So, on April 13th, 2015, Jody is finally sentenced. She does receive life in prison with zero chance of parole. June of 2015, Jody was ordered to pay restitution to Travis's siblings around $32,000, which ain't ever from what? From doing what? Selling her hair and whatnot? Donating clothing? 
<laughs> making license plates uh, or something. I don't know what happens in jail. <laughs> so this brings us up to July of 2018. Jody has a new defense team. They file a 324-page appeal looking to get her conviction completely overturned. Mm-hmm. How does that go? In October of the following <laughs> year, on the 17th, Jody's lawyers appear in the Court of Appeals. They argue that the sentence should be overturned because of Martinez's inappropriate behavior and that it resulted in a media frenzy and affected the outcome. Which is, I mean... I think it's a fair argument to make. Mm -hmm. Because he did... It was a freaking circus. It was fucking something. (laughs) So, on March 24th, 2020, which literally, you guys, was not that long ago, Mm -hmm. the courts decide to uphold Jody's conviction, which is as it should be. She should be in motherfucking jail Mm -hmm. um as of this year 2022 jody is housed at the arizona department of corrections state prison complex perryville (laughs) when she began serving her sentence she was in a max security unit but she has since been downgraded to the medium security level i'm gonna assume for either good behavior or because she's not a threat or she's just batting those dull eyes at somebody and getting away with it (laughs) all of the above (laughs) i know (laughs) pick one so we're going to cap things off with discussing where Kirk Nermes and Juan Martinez's careers currently stand. Which is ain't fucking nowhere. Because both of them have been disbarred. Bye, bitches. Kirk Nermy, I just love saying right. <laughs> Kirk Nermy, he wrote a tell-all book where he allegedly breached attorney-client privilege by revealing what could be argued as confidential information. Which... I have not read said book. No. I now want to read said I book. I also want to read but the book. But we'll add it to our book club. You list literally of books. can't just be like, here's my tell all, and then tell all if you're a lawyer. That's not how that mother booping works. Right. Come on, y'all. At the very least, wait until you retire. Bro. I know. <laughs> I know they know. I know they you know that. <laughs> you know the legal processes better than I do. Like, mm, what is wrong with mm-hmm. you? Oh, just wait. It gets better. Can it, though? It does. It really does. Because Martinez, on the other hand, oh, buddy. The bar in the state of Arizona. If you guys aren't familiar, the bar is basically like the governing body of Of lawyers. Each state has their own. Because as we all know, states vary. Laws vary from state to state. So the bar is in each state. It's like two become a lawyer you take the bar exam exactly they are the governing body of lawyers yep and in order to practice law in a state you have to be licensed through the bar association in that state from what i understand so that sounds right the bar in the state of arizona filed a complaint against martinez two days after the trial was scheduled martinez agrees to be disbarred so I'm just saying, he agrees. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So the allegations were that Martinez had sexually assaulted women he worked with at the DA's office. The bar also accused Martinez of leaking information during Jody's trial. They alleged that he had a sexual relationship with a blogger. Ew. And that he was sharing information with her and he lied to investigators about it. Ew. By agreeing to the disbarment, Martinez did not admit to any misconduct, but he does confirm that he no longer wishes to defend himself against the charges. And I have some, um, like, 
chunks of an article here that kind of goes into more detail about what happened. So I'm going to make sure this specific article is linked for you because I'm not taking credit for what I'm about to say. It was not written by me. <laughs> it was written by, I think, CBS or some other news affiliate that has a lot more money than we do and I don't want to get sued. So <laughs> they basically say that he was... Um, accused several co-workers had made the sexual harassment allegations against him the county attorney's office conducted an internal investigation in 2018 the office interviewed 30 people that's a lot yeah right oh my uh the complaint stated quote the allegations included making inappropriate comments Mm -hmm. primarily to law clerks which are below lawyers hierarchy wise um which were of a sexual nature Engaging in unwanted touching and making persistent, unwelcome invitations to go to lunch or on a date. A woman claimed that Martinez told her that he, quote, and this is really fucking gross, he wanted to climb her like a statue. Oh, so he's little and she's big Mm -hmm, and also mm -hmm. icky. The woman said that Martinez invited her to Las Vegas and said he could guess the color of her underwear. According to the complaint, another woman hid in the bathroom to avoid Martinez because he would look at her like, quote, he was taking her clothes off with his eyes. She also claimed that Martinez told her he wanted to put a hit on her boyfriend. That's also a quote. So he can have her to himself. Separately, Martinez was reprimanded reprimanded in April for ethical misconduct in three capital murder cases. Weird. According to the Arizona Supreme Court, it was Martinez's first disciplinary sanction as a member of the bar. They said that he violated the rule that prohibits lawyers from engaging in, quote, conduct that is prejudicial to the administration of justice. Specifically, the court said that Martinez made inappropriate comments to juries during those trials. What? Um, a justice from, I think, Arizona Supreme Court basically says that as a prosecutor, he, his serial improper appeals to juries to elicit sympathy for victims and fear of defendants and his failure to comply with a court ruling jeopardized the integrity of the legal system. That was almost a direct quote. He also goes on to say, quote, that Martinez's negligent conduct did not result in reversal of criminal convictions does not absolve him of ethical culpability for potential systemic injuries basically saying that he did bad and that while it didn't result in any convictions being overturned that doesn't lessen the severity that doesn't make it okay of what he did it's still not cool bro exactly um basically saying that prosecutor prosecutorial misconduct undeniably permeated this case when referring to the Jody Arias case uh, rather than a few isolated missteps a pattern of intentional misconduct saturated the trial basically the court of appeals was like mm, we hear you but no which at the end of the day Jody deserve we like I've said she deserves to be in jail in this instance though the outcome is what should have happened yes. but i'm curious to see how many of his other cases were innocent people who are basically just railroaded or assaulted or whatever into murder convictions or jail sentences that shouldn't have been a thing because like i said i 
I obviously feel very strongly that Jody did this, but I also feel very strongly about the way that the trial went. As as women, we already have to fight against preconceived notions about our sexuality and whether or not we should even have one. And it does really bother me that a case where there was so much physical evidence that was undeniable, they we resor- still re- they resorted to the sensational. We still had to go it. down that route. Yeah. It just wasn't necessary. And okay. then to find out that you're gonna be you're disbarred for sexual misconduct, for misogynistic behavior. It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, because icky. Travis got justice, but I feel like it was done in a dirty way, which taints it for well, me. Well, and again, like I said, how many other people are sitting in prison that shouldn't be there? And that's a huge problem that we have. Or that there might like, be a question about the case and it won't be addressed because of this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we have a couple cases that we're really interested in digging into. Uh, like uh, the West Memphis 3 mm-hmm. is one that we want to do with my friend Alex here as soon as we can figure out how to do Discord because she lives in Arizona. I miss her. Anyways, that's another case where, like, things kind of go awry, but mm-hmm. it's likely that there are innocent men sitting in jail because of it. So, our justice system, in theory, is supposed to be great and fair. It doesn't always work out that way. This happened to be one of those cases where it was both. Right. Justice was served, but it was nasty getting there. Yes, absolutely. So, that. My friends, my darlings, my little crime and spirit friends. That's it. That's Jody Arias and the murder of Travis Alexander. It's a rough one. I literally, in the subject line of my research, uh, well, my email said Jody Arias is a bitch because I don't like her. Actually, you said <laughs> Jody Arias is a see you next Tuesday. <laughs> Which I never really use that word. No, but we reserve that for the most. I really can't help myself. What she did and the way she held herself just really made me want to punch her. But especially because we've both been in traumatic situations, and I think that we both take special offense to when people try to use that to their advantage. If it's true, okay, but it, girl, it but did even not when it's true, even when it is true, mm-hmm. it's not an excuse. Right, you still have to be held liable to your actions. Absolutely. So even if everything she said about Travis was true, at the end of the day, she still killed him. Well, and he didn't deserve to be stabbed 27 times and shot in the head Mm -mm. and then left for days. Therapy, girl. It's cheaper and more fun than being in jail. (laughs) Block their number, get a new phone, do whatever. Don't do what Jody did. No, don't be like Jody. Yep, long story short. (laughs) That should be on a t-shirt. We'll put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Don't tempt us with a good time. So, as is tradition... We love you guys, and we really appreciate you hanging out with us and for having some cocktails and sharing some stories and listening to us ramble on about all sorts of things. Because we like it. We hope you love it. Yeah. Keep listening. We yes, just want to grow our fan base, you know. I actually just have fun doing this. I Me literally too. look forward to recording all week. It's so fun, and hopefully you guys have fun, too. Well, yeah, and if you make the drinks, take a photo, do something, anything crime and spirits related, mm-hmm. tag us, let us know, shout out your girl. Heck, yeah. You guys know where to find you. us. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. We are on Twitter at Crime Spirits Pod. And maybe eventually TikTok if these two little old ladies can figure out how That's to true. make it work. It's so hard. How do you make a TikTok about hitting hey, each other with tortillas? We're figuring out how to make reels. It's and true. I think we're pretty, getting pretty good on it. So we're watch gonna, out, guys. We're going to get better. We're practicing. We're working on it. Yes. Always evolving. Always changing. We're Absolutely. trying. Absolutely. So... 
that being said, thank you. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next time. We love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.